team to another episode of the Parafed Huddle podcast. Um, today I've got Pat with me. You're an old friend of mine. I used to do a placement way back and I thought, oh, this is prime opportunity to get him on the screen and <laughs> bring him in. So we are at the AUT Millennium today. Um, thank you for coming by and welcome. No worries. Um, so Pat works with and um, for Athlete Development, which runs at a Millennium. I will do a bad job at uh, like explaining it so you hit it and what is athlete development uh we're a part of ac millennium we're a business unit here um but essentially we're a business that's focused on everything youth athlete so we want to long term like our big vision is we want to help minimize injuries in the youth athlete population help kids have a better time in sport and you know just in general like improve sporting development so that kids are more prepared to be awesome athletes later in life Mm -hmm. So the population that you coach on the daily, where do they kind of, what's the bracket? Where do you kind of sit with? In terms of age? Yeah, like population demographic thing. Uh, So, I mean, age group wise, we get, or we work mainly with eight to 18 year olds. So namely kids that are in school bar like new entrants really. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll get the odd like six or seven year old that's pretty boisterous. (laughs) Um, But we tend to also get athletes that aren't necessarily in like the top echelon of their sport already so like if you take a teenager for instance the kids that are doing really well in their sport they will often already kind of feel like they're getting what they need in terms of support mm-hmm. um, most of our work centered around like strength conditioning or non-sport specific skill development so those kids kind of don't really need us so we don't really see them as much so it's not like specific to a set amount of sports it's no so any, kids can come from any sport any background they can be at any level they don't have to be good mm-hmm. or bad they just have to kind of want to improve or want to have an awesome time playing or training oh, yeah. yeah that's cool and so like you've worked with the youth and been like around youth in sports for a while now mm-hmm. what's kind of some of the biggest understandings and learnings that you've picked up along the way i think especially with youth has been like the importance of joy and fun for people like in their training Mm -hmm. um i think like training kids you you get a real like honest set of feedback from them in terms of like their behavior like if they're not liking it they'll let you know if it's Mm. boring they'll let you know so like the need to as a coach like really create places or create an environment that's actually like an awesome place to be and how that impacts like the response that a kid will have but also an adult like I definitely have taken it into like coaching adult populations as well. Mm. That I think when kids are unhappy in sport, joy is kind of the first thing that's missing. It's like they're not there or they're not being supported by coaches to have a fun time. Like the emphasis has shifted away from joy or, or just development to you know, outcome and process or, and performance instead. So, yeah. And do you think, like, is there a, do you find a direct correlation between how well uh, an athlete does in their development and how much they're enjoying the time? with you guys like the time they're having training not necessarily just with you guys but they're like sports trainings as well uh nothing that we've like sort of measured directly but mm. absolutely like i think kids that are more that feel they're, they're in the right place that there's a place where they can have fun are so much more likely to kind of engage intensively in their training so you know, if I'm, if I'm providing an environment that's like really, really supportive and really engaging and really fun, then a kid's going to be there or a kid in that environment is going to try so much harder than a kid who 
doesn't really want to be there because they don't feel sort of supported. Mm. So, yeah, I think there's a direct link between like the joy or the support that they feel in any training space and like the intensity or the the intent they bring to that session as a result. Yeah. Yeah, and do like, I mean, because it's the adults that write the sessions and facilitate them. So, is the definition of fun different between age? Mm, between age, like adult kid. Yeah. Um, or does it depend on the person? No, I, th- I think it does vary a little bit. So I think like in terms of psychosocial development, there's obviously a difference in the way kids think to the way adults think, right? So mm-hmm. even down to like the reason why people partake in sport or why they train, like that's probably one of the bigger differences. Like often kids are there almost purely for social reasons before puberty, right? Like so the, the number one reason they're in that sport is because it's just really fun to be there with their mates. Mm. And that's that's often why kids choose a particular sport. Um, and sort of as they start developing psychosocially, like the social status side of their brain kind of switches on and it feels, or it starts to feel good to feel good at something. Yeah. Right, to, to be acknowledged for performing well. And so that kind of side of the brain kicks in and they can then start to stay involved or shift into different sports based on like what makes them feel good rather than just who they're around or, mm-hmm. you know, that side of it. And then that sort of sticks around, I think, a lot through till kind of post-puberty where adults can start adding in this, you know, what's actually worthwhile side of it, like what sport's going to get me where I want to go or what training environment's going to get me where I need to go. There's more you know, behind it, like There's a lot more like of reasoning. a performance-oriented, like, rationale to why I'm here or why I would go back to training or trainer. Yeah. yeah. So like in the youth development and youth sport world, is there a kind of issue or problem or something you'd like to adapt or change or fight almost? Yeah. Um I think like the biggest challenge I guess is around the way sports are structured to kind of tell kids whether or not they're like meant to be in sports or not. So both in terms of like the the load and like the stress that kids get put under like kids, you know, teenagers Mm. included. Um, and how that kind of is really, really misaligned with actually like their developmental pathways. So I think at the moment there's a big problem in that kids are pushed out of sports so far before they're anywhere near their potential. Like, you know, physically speaking, like we're not finished growing until we're like early twenties and the brain's actually later than that. So like Mm. psychosocially or emotionally or mentally, we're just so far away from like our potential of like how we should actually be thinking or how our body's actually going to be, you know, once it's sort of settled and fully grown. So the fact that like kids sport is so intense and that kids are being pushed out of sport at such a young age at the moment, you know, mainly through high school or at the end of high school is a real kind of frustration point. So the way the system is structured yeah, doesn't yeah favor anyone doing sport no. after school unless you're well, super determined yeah it definitely doesn't favor late maturers like you know the classic is a kid who you know goes through most of high school especially like a young male because they obviously mature later than females um and is put under a bunch of stress but their body's just nowhere near ready for it and also mm. like mentally they're nowhere near ready for it because their brain's not fully developed so mm. like it sucks that a kid like that who might you know two three years down the line be like an amazing physical specimen but has already kind of been told they're not good at something or 
yeah. and, and believe that, okay, well, obviously sport's not for me because I've had five really average years of it through school. Yeah, and uh, then as well, um, I don't know if you've read it, um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Really great book. And he talks about how, you know, there's all these LeBron James and Michael Jordans and these top top athletes, but that could be down to the fact that they were given so many opportunities because of their like early yeah. maturation. You know, they got stronger and bigger much sooner than somebody yeah. else that's maturing late. And then because they were already these amazing athletes with this unbelievable talent, they're on rep programs, they're on training yeah. camps, they get to see the best. And now yeah. they've got the advantage of all these op- opportunities, you know? So yeah. that kind of doesn't make sense well, when this, actually... There's something like, this is just how like organizing sport based on like chronological uh, chronological age impacts it but there's something like 70 or 75 percent of like professional sports athletes are born in the first half of the year yeah and it's um that's in the book as well and it's um the hockey yeah the um ice hockey which is crazy it's like what so sorry if you're born after september you're (laughs) the the current sport world doesn't like it as much Yeah. yeah which it does um although i think wouldn't it be june here because we start... No, most, oh, no, most sports January. are January, yeah. So it's it's how old you are on the 1st of January. Because our school year is a little bit different though. So it might favour... I think that's only like... No, oh. most... It may depend on like summer versus winter code. Like yeah. what age you are at the start of like August, True. for instance, for a summer code. But yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm involved in rowing and I know that's all 1st of January. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's, it's just insane, you yeah. know? Um, and so how do you... Like, do you find yourself acting like actively trying to alter that or like you and ad i think like again lockdown was a real cool chance to you know reflect on where we're at and what we're trying to do to solve that problem Mm. um but it is a massive issue it's like the whole construct of sport like not just in new zealand but you know or not specifically at high school but also new zealand and like the world over is like just the way we've organized sports to develop people for high performance is just all such a rush. Like it's mm. a big conveyor belt of factory to just create great young athletes. But I just think it's a little misaligned to like the development the other time. Side. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Um, and we all know like people that have been through that and yeah. you see them and it's as well. It's sad to see people that put a hundred percent in and then, Mm. have no plan b and it's like they don't have the time to build a plan b it's not their fault you know Mm. so if you were gonna like design or create like a recipe for your perfect athlete like if they walked in the door and you're like you are my ideal what would that kind of package be i think the biggest things are around like the qualities they have that are transferable across any sport or any context so that they're resilient, that they can solve problems, that they're robust. Mm. That's kind of like a big three. So, you know, they're not phased too much by like challenge. They they embrace challenge and they know how to deal with not being the best at something. That that's like that's an opportunity to them, not a threat. Um, they're robust in that like they've just got a great sense of movement skill because they've done all sorts of stuff. Or if they haven't got that yet, then we build an awesome set of movement competency by giving them a huge array of movement experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we often talk about that as like tools in the toolbox. Yeah, yeah. And so like when you're in a session and let's say you give them a challenge of like balancing on something that's unstable mm-hmm. and like let's say there's this one athlete that's like really struggling and 
they're really struggling. How do you guys like act on that? And like, what kind of things would you feed to that that athlete to get them? Um, I think like prior to that, uh, one of the big pillars of what we do is called appropriate challenge. So we we want to make sure that the the challenge we're giving an athlete to start with isn't too far away from like their actual ability level. Mm-hmm. So if you think of like um, an athlete's skill level compared to an athlete's uh, to a challenge you provide an athlete, like they ne- they need to be married up somewhat. If yeah. if yeah, flow theory says like if the challenge is way beyond the athlete's perception of themselves or their actual skill level, then they're going to meet that challenge with a lot of anxiety because they're not going to feel they're anywhere near it, and that's mm. going to be like they'll be hesitant to to jump in or even try um or maybe they do give it a try and they just like straight away shut off and they're way less likely to actually jump back in and give it another try um and of course you can have the other side of that which is like when the challenge is really really easy then the athletes get bored and i'm just like well this, this is no good for me um so yeah i think keeping that in mind like when we see an athlete struggle with something it's just about thinking like how can i modify the task to fit the athletes like skill level a little better so that it's maybe not so far outside of their comfort zone or their like skill level that it is attainable because mm. i think it should be attainable it, it should take a little bit of work but it should still be attainable mm. um, if we're giving them things that aren't attainable then it's going to be like a bit crushing yeah 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 especially at a kid's level and as well i think um if you gave the opportunity to, to do something that was difficult, but they eventually achieved it, then it kind of feeds that message of, if you just stick to it, you'll get it. Kind of like yeah. idea, um, without yeah. you saying to them, hey, if you just stick to this, you'll get it. Absolutely. Um, like, I think in designing problems or designing like challenges to give kids, that's exactly what we want. We want something that's going to take them a little while to solve. Like, mm. The best challenge is one that the kid doesn't actually get first try but they go nah I can actually do that like I know I can yeah. do that I just have to like figure it out yeah um and it you know it might take them like 10 tries it might take them 10 minutes 20 minutes or if it's a really cool challenge it could take days or like a couple of weeks like yeah I know like juggling is one that I've been playing with lately it's like there's something about it that it just seems so doable but I might I, I know when I started like during lockdown I, I could three ball juggle but I couldn't four ball juggle but I was oh like, my gosh, it, even it the must fact be, that you can three ball juggle. <laughs> yeah, no, like it, it, it must be doable because I've seen so many people that can do it. And like, I sucked. I was terrible. I could barely get like a single throw, but I knew that I could, not that I could get there, but like it, it had to be doable. So mm, I someone think else that can kind do it. of, yeah. So any challenge we create has got to have like kind of that sense of like doableness. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 100%. And so um, all of the things that we've talked about in the last 10 minutes or so, do you think they apply to a para-athlete or an adaptive athlete Yeah. in the same way? Exactly the same. Exactly yeah. the same? I think para-athlete, adaptive athlete, they've all got the same needs. Um, mm. Kind of underpinning that side of it, we talk a lot about self-determination theory. Mm-hmm. Like, As humans, we, we want to feel like a training environment is supportive for us. It's going to get us where we want to go as an individual. Um, that it's going to kind of challenge us in the right way it's going to provide us an opportunity to grow and get better at the sport or the the skills we want to build up mm. um, and there's there, that there's also people around us that care um so you know i think exactly the same stuff applies yeah no regardless question. yeah that's awesome and um so if this is kind of digging back into the sports culture side of things mm-hmm. but in terms of like the coaches and their parents like we 
like all kind of people that are in the sports industry know about the car ride home. Yeah. You know, the car ride home after the game, what do you say to your child? Um, what kind of things can like coaches and and parents be doing to support these really cool opportunities to grow a, a great person, but mm. as well a great athlete? One of the coolest things I've read on that topic was around, uh, it was like a blog on how parents should be the guiding light, not the person kind of holding the hand and dragging the kid along. Mm. So it was a cool little story that was like a great metaphor for it where um, I think a father's son you know, um, came home from sport and he's like, ah, oh, like I'm tired, I, I need to run, I need to get my training done. And you know, the parents are like, well, what are you going to do about it? He's like, well, I just don't know how to do it. Like I don't, it's dark outside, it's snowing, like... I, I just don't know if it'll be like appropriate to train and so I think the the or the response of the parent at that time was just like well what if I drove behind you and like I'll just have the car lights on so you can see where you're going you can still get your training done and like the kid was like that could work um and it was a really good metaphor for like how that parent didn't didn't tell him to like like hurry up you, you've got to do it you said mm. you do it or tell them like no just like take it easy you don't have to do it but they just gave them an opportunity to make a decision for themselves where it was like, here's a way that you can do it. So mm. I, as a parent have opened a door for you and it's kind of up to you to make the decision now about whether you make it work or don't. Yeah. So they didn't, they didn't influence their decision kind of like heavily influence it, but they just gave them an opportunity to make the decision for themselves. I think yeah. that's like a metaphor for the way parents and coaches should be working with kids. It's like, we want to hold them accountable to their own decisions, but it's more about like, opening up opportunity rather than kind of pushing them through any door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like designing the opportunity for yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. With you. And so like further, a step further from that, how do you think this Kiwi sports culture, like as well as the system could be adapted to suit youth to develop better and like not lose as many athletes as we go through? Big question. Big question. Um, Big topics today. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot in that. Like, the number one thing for me, because maturation and like physical and psychosocial development is so important to us, is around how kids are currently living in a world that is really, really structured based on the way adults are living. So, because the parents got to go to their nine to five or you know eight to five, traffic dictates that they have to get up earlier to you know make it to work on time yeah that influences the time that kids have to then go to school as well right so um anything that's a problem yeah well i mean kids need more sleep than parents kids are also kind of engineered through you know the way we've evolved or teenagers especially going through their growth spurt uh, their optimal sleep time is later their optimal wake-up time is like not until 9 or 10 a.m mm. um but they're in a world where they have to kind of they're reliant on parents to get them ready to go. So yeah, all of a sudden they're waking up at five thirty and training early, and you know, all of that I think is based around an adult's time, an adult's timeline, and like how their day looks. So the biggest thing I think we would change to help kids is actually like fit their life to their physiology a little better. So like starting school later, giving them a little bit more time to sleep in. If they're going to train, then they can do it at eight or nine a.m. instead of like mm. five. AM, like swimmers and rowers, wear shockers. <laughs> um, and just give them a little bit more like of an appropriate lifestyle for their age and for their physical development. Rather yeah. than just a mini adult's yeah. lifestyle. Um, 
and then I guess second to that is given that kids aren't really finished growing or anywhere near their their mental or physical kind of development endpoint, which isn't till around like twenty early twenties. I think the intakes into like a lot of high performance environments would also, I'd ideally push them later. Yeah. We, we talk about how there's like, there's definitely no such thing as a high performance teenager or high performance kid. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's talented kids and there's like high performing kids, but I think, um, yeah, no such thing as an actual high performance kid. Yeah. Where is the idea of like, oh, you want to be the best. You have to start when you're three. Like, where is that idea of go hard, go early? Just annihilate it come from, do you think? I can't remember the author. I, I don't know if it was Gladwell. But that 10,000 hour rule was a shocker. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was misinterpreted. I know a lot of the data in that was it a was, little off. It was, wasn't it? Um, That's clicking something in my brain as well. But yeah, like the idea of 10,000 hours practice to become an elite sports person was like really well adopted. Um, and so earlier the better. And at the time, I guess it made sense like, the more time you spend on something, the better mm. you're going to get at it. But then but how you spend on it is like yeah, a big influence. Yeah, so much, uh, there's a lot of shortfalls to that kind of approach. Yeah. Um, mm. Okay, so if you were going to, we'll start to wrap it up, but if you were going to, if someone on the other end of the screen was an athlete who's young, enthusiastic, willing to dedicate themselves and like really, really pushing for them to be the best athlete they can be right now and they're kind of in that early teens bracket what would you kind of say to them what would you emphasize it's like a really tough question i think um i think we tend to fool ourselves in terms of what it actually takes to become an elite athlete or like to Mm -hmm. be the best in a sport there's there is a lot of luck in it and people probably don't like hearing that but the reality is that not everyone's going to get there and not everyone can get there um only sort of two percent of people become a professional athlete of any kind yeah um so I think while you, when you're at that stage of like being a, you know, really, really immersed in sport and loving it and having that aspiration to, to make it in sport, um, putting yourself in environments that like are joyful, that you, know, you feel are really, really supportive, that there's people who care about you, that you, know, you feel like you're actually getting better and rather than just going to places that you sort of think you need to go because that's maybe the next stepping stone. And so it's a real tough one because I think there's a lot of noise in terms of what, like the way athletes are pulled in all sorts of directions. Mm. But yeah, just choosing based on what actually gives you the most joy. Because yeah. then if you don't make it, at least you've had an awesome time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 100%. And you wouldn't want to like finish your career and yeah. have like a sour taste about it. If yeah, you were, which like, I think realized, a lot of people do right now. Yeah, realized it was like, hard yeah. and tough well, and... well that sucked and I didn't make it so <laughs> what was well, the point yeah. Yeah, it was all four yeah. and then final question just because it's just kind of been a staple for all the ones all the podcasts I've done but if you're going to turn around to yourself five years ago what would you say to yourself what advice would you give yourself um, for me I think I was always like really eager to get to the next best thing like mm. to the next job, to the next opportunity. And so I think I spent too much time like concentrating on where I could go next in my career instead of just trying to do a really good job of where I was mm-hmm. at the time. And even now I've been at AD for five years, but like my mind frame around the work I'm doing now is very different to what I was, how I was approaching it like a few years ago. Mm. So yeah, just trying to do an amazing job of what I'm at and like the jobs I've got at the time, that would definitely be it. 
like, do a good job now and it'll pay off later. Like the opportunity will open up by doing yeah. that good job. 100% in. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, guys, there's been so many little nuggets of information. So I think this is actually one of our longest ones, but it's awesome. <laughs> and I think if you're going to re-listen any of them, then probably re-listen to this one and pick up something new um, and take it and run with it. I will, as always, chuck all the details in about Pat and about AD so that you can get in touch with him um, and his team if you want to hear more about what they do. Um, but otherwise, just like check them out on Instagram and on Facebook. And they've got so much good content that flies through. So check all of that out. And other thank you. That nice. was awesome. It's always Cheers. good to catch up and actually talk. Yeah, good to chat. We're going to go to the gym now. Um, and otherwise, I will see you guys next episode. See you, team. Oh, oh, oh.